Today we're going to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And so open there, we continue in our series, What the Son of God Said. And uh, before we open the word, I want to just seize an opportunity real quick to share with you a personal update from my life uh, related to my wife, Kathy. Um, and many of you already know about this, uh, but some of you don't, and so I, I've been encouraged to just tell the church. Before I share this update, I want you to know that in general, my philosophy is that this pulpit is not really, the purpose of this pulpit is not personal updates. This, the purpose of this pulpit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but there are times where the church wants to know things that are happening and things happen in my life. And so I want to take a minute just to tell you real quickly that the headline is about four weeks ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And it is uh, rectal cancer, colorectal cancer. So it's uh, basically what happened was right around the time of our daughter's wedding, Kathy started becoming symptomatic. She was experiencing some pain. Then she was experiencing some bleeding. And so we went in, had a colonoscopy. They found a tumor in there. Um, that is ulcerated, and they did a biopsy, and it came back cancer. Then they did scans, stage three, and so we're on a cancer journey right now. And so uh, a lot of people have been praying for us. Thank you. I want to just tell you the prayers have been amazing. People are asking, how's Kathy? Kathy is doing pretty well. Her spirits are high. She's in a lot of pain, so pray for her pain. But she, um, her sense of humor is intact. She's named her tumor. The name of her tumor is Beelzebut, all right? <laughs> it's, it's a Bible joke, so ask somebody later about it. But uh, so we're, we're praying. Our faith in Jesus is absolutely intact. Whatever comes our way, God is good. Amen? And so tomorrow morning, Kathy starts radiation, chemotherapy treatment, 8.30 a.m., Please pray for that. And I want to tell you that, like, even in telling you this, I want you to know, Kathy and I aren't the only ones who need prayer. So I know, because I've talked to some of you, that you're dealing with something. You're, you're sick or you're f facing hardship. This church, we believe in the power of prayer at River West. We have a statement around here, prayer is our power. And every Sunday, I invite you, there's elders, there's prayer warriors, there's members, there's going to be elders over there this morning. Please come and receive prayer. They would love nothing more than to pray for you. Amen? And I'm going to pray right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the opportunity we have right now to pause and acknowledge that you're the sovereign creator God of all things. There's not a moment, there's not a incident. There's not a detail that happens in our world without your perfect knowledge and providence, including the moment we're about to experience right now as we open the scriptures to listen to our leader, Jesus, how we need Jesus to speak to us today about a very important theme. I want to pray in this moment no matter where people are at, I don't, I don't know where people are coming from in terms of faith or discouragement or doubt or skepticism. May this moment be a moment where for some reason, God, by your grace, every one of us, our hearts become deeply humbled. And we recognize that we are about to hear from the living God as we open your word. And so would you do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Over the next two Sundays, I want our church to think together about the way that we relate to the Holy Spirit. That's going to be our theme today and next Sunday as we continue in our series, What the Son of God Said. I want to ask the question, what did the Son of God say about the Spirit of God? And what kind of expectations should we have about our relationship with him? You know, I've often thought if you just grabbed your Bible and you had no experience with Christianity and you'd never been to a church before and you just opened your Bible and you listened to the teaching of Jesus and what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, you would develop a very specific set of expectations for what your life should be like now that you have the Spirit in you. And those expectations would be pretty high. You would have really high expectations about life with the Spirit. So in the passage we're going to study this morning, uh, we're going to go to the end of John where it's called the farewell discourse. And what's happening in this passage is Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows he's about to be crucified. He's going to be raised again. And they're starting to be traumatized by this news. Hey, guys, I'm leaving. And so Jesus comforts them. And the way that he comforts them is he tells them, I promise you, I'm going to send to you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually goes as far as to say, it is actually to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I'll pour out my spirit and you'll be filled with the spirit and you will have access to a new kind of power. You'll be able to fight sin in your life. You'll be given supernatural gifts. You'll be able to accomplish my mission that I've given you in this world and you'll be able to do it for one reason and one reason only. Because I've given you the Holy Spirit. This is kind of a silly illustration, but imagine that I told you that I had an encounter with God where he entered my body and he gave me the supernatural ability to play soccer. Okay. <laughs> yes, what would, your, what would your expectations be? Something like that, right? Okay, you could take that down quickly. All right, that is very far from reality right there, right? You would have expectations about my now ability, right? But wait a minute, what if I were to tell you that you have been filled with God's Holy Spirit and he is, at, he is ready to give you abilities to live the Christian life? And I wonder if you would live into the expectations that you ought to have based on the promises of Jesus. What if you were to discover that there's an entire resource out there and for some reason, you've been going without it. Last week, I, um, I had a sleep study done, okay? So talk about personal medical updates. I, my doctor said, uh, I've been complaining to my doctor about I just have struggled with sleep over most of my life. And he was like, just let's get you in, get a sleep study. So I go to Westside Sleep Center and you walk in and then they've got a room back there that looks like a hotel room. And then the, the technician walks in and he starts hooking all of these probes up. If you've ever done this, you, I had like 15 probes all over my forehead and down my arms and on my legs. And he gets me all hooked up. And then I kid you not, he goes, 
goes, he leaves and he goes, okay, sleep well. And I thought, yes, right. I feel like Neo waking up from the matrix. It's like, psh, psh, psh. so he's like, sleep well. So I, I try to fall asleep and morning comes and my doctor walks into the room and here's what he says to me. He goes, so there's what we call mild sleep apnea and then there's what we call severe sleep apnea. And you, my friend, have severe sleep apnea. He goes, mild sleep apnea is when you have anywhere from 5 to 20 sleep events per hour. And a sleep event is just a really kind way of describing that moment when you stop breathing completely. So an, an alarm system goes off, wakes up your brain, and then you start breathing again. 5 to 20 per hour is mild sleep apnea. And then he goes, anything over 30 is what we call severe sleep apnea. And you averaged 47 sleep events per hour. He goes, you've not had a good night's sleep for a decade and a half, right? I shared this with the college group, and one of them was like, you're kind of high energy, so I wonder what you're going to be like when you have a good night's sleep. <laughs> Maybe you should stick with the apnea. So I'm going on a CPAP machine. So welcome to the 50s. My wife has rectal cancer. I'm getting a CPAP machine, right? But wait a minute. Now, what it, I'm like, what would it be like to actually fully lean on the resource of sleep? But I want to ask you a question. What would it be like in your life to fully lean on the resource of God's Holy Spirit? Can I ask you a question this morning? I want you to think about it throughout the whole Sunday here. How much do you actually depend on God's Spirit for your daily Christian life. Now, I am in no way going to get up here and try to explain the Holy Spirit in 25 minutes. What I'm going to do is read to you a couple of verses that Jesus said, and then I'm going to encourage you to believe this with all of your heart. And there's no better place to go than John 14. The best way to get you there is get you into the room with Jesus when he first promised his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16. Here's what happened. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I just want to put up verse 16 again. Leslie, let's just have 16 up for just a moment. And here's what I want you to know. Like I, I could devote, I could preach 10 sermons on this passage alone. So I could devote a whole sermon to that word helper. Do you see the word helper in verse 16? That's an attempt to translate a, a Greek word, parakletos. That Greek word could be your Bible might have counselor, it might have comforter, it might have advocate. And one of the challenges is it's a word in the Greek that is so, has such manifold meaning, we, we struggle to find the perfect translation. Helper's pretty good, counselor's good. I could also preach a whole sermon on the word right before helper. Do you see that word? Another. So in the Greek, there's two words for another. One of the words means another of the exact same kind. And there's a, there's a different word that means another of a, a different kind. So when I say to my family, 
Uh, when Winnie dies, I'm getting another dog. I do not mean another of the same kind, okay? Like a Labrador Retriever. Uh, one Labrador Retriever is enough for me. I mean another of a different kind. But the word that Jesus uses here is he's saying, if I leave, I'm going to send you another helper, and it's the same kind. He's essentially saying, I'm sending you my very spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God, who will take up residence inside of you. And I could preach a whole sermon on the Trinity, on that word he, the pronoun he. Jesus refers to the spirit not as an it. He's not a power source. This is not Star Wars and the force. The Holy Spirit of the living God is a divine person, the third member of the Trinity, sovereign Lord. But that's not this sermon. What I want to do this morning is I want to preach a sermon on that little phrase right at the beginning of verse 17. Maybe you noticed it. I want you to look at it. Here's how he describes the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, just in case you're wondering who I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Spirit of truth. That's who he is. It's not the only time Jesus describes the Spirit this way. The Spirit of truth. In fact, throughout the discourse, if you, if you were to read on, and you should today, read 14 and then 15 and then 16 of John Two more times Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit, and in both of those major sections, he describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Let me just show you those real quick. So turn to chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, you see it there? Chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, do you see that? who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Spirit of truth. We've got spirit of truth, spirit of truth. Now go to chapter 16, just one page over probably. Go to verse 12. Here's another passage. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Spirit of truth, spirit of truth, spirit of truth. He's not just any spirit. He's the spirit of truth. Being truth defines his very nature, it's in his title. And it's not just that he speaks truth and it's not just that he leads people into truth. No, it's more than that. He is inherently the incarnation in our world and in your life, dwelling in you. He is absolute objective truth with you. This is amazing. I promise you we don't understand it because if we did, we would, be, we would be jumping up and down right now going, what in the world has Jesus given us? Oh my goodness, this is amazing. By the way, at any point you want to jump up and down in my sermon, go for it, all right? <laughs> There's two categories that Jesus thinks of throughout this passage whenever he speaks of the spirit of truth. I want you to think about these with me. Two, think of two 
headings. God's faithful presence, so divine, the divine presence, and our faithful witness. And you need the spirit of truth for both of those. God's faithful presence and our faithful witness. So think about it, God's faithful presence. The original disciples, think about what they enjoyed in the presence of the living God. Okay, when they journeyed with Jesus of Nazareth, they came to realize we're actually journeying with the living God. When they sat at a campfire and shared a meal with Jesus of Nazareth, they came to realize we're sharing a meal with the living God. When they listened to Jesus teach, they came to realize we're hearing the wisdom of the living God. And so imagine how distraught they would be when Jesus now takes them into the upper room and says, I don't know how to tell you this, guys, but I'm actually departing now. I'm going to the cross. I'm gonna be raised from the dead. I imagine there were tears, weeping, moaning. They gasped and Jesus said, but don't worry. It's actually to your advantage because when I go, I'll send another counselor, another helper. Oh, and not only that, he's the spirit of truth. So what I really need to do here is I need you to see that it's this truth connection that Jesus is after. Did you know that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are permanently tapped in to absolute truth? Did you know that? You have access to truth permanently indwelling you. And by the way, if you're wondering, well, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? In Romans, we're gonna get to this in October. Paul says, no one can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or believe that he was raised from the dead without the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So you have the Spirit, but that means you are tapped into absolute truth. But now, some of you and you philosophers are thinking, well, wait a minute, what is truth? You know, what is, I mean, okay, the spirit of truth, but what is truth really, right? What is truth? Why does it matter? Why would Jesus think, okay, I'm leaving, they're gonna need a lot of help, and what they really need is, they don't just need anything, they need the spirit of truth. Why would Jesus promise that? The word that Jesus uses here, it's one of John's favorite words in his gospel. He uses this word 24 times, more than any other gospel writer. It's the Greek word aletheia, and here's what it means. That which does not deceive or distort, but describes real states of affairs. Truth, according to Jesus, is that which does not deceive or distort, but describes reality, real states of affairs. And this is how the Greeks used the word. They, when they would use the word aletheia, it was synonymous for reality in contrast to illusion. And in John's gospel, this is often how he defines 
truth. He'll say, when he wants to describe truth, he'll contrast it with deception or with illusions. And often when he wants to describe truth, he'll speak of the spirit of truth and then he'll contrast that and he'll speak of the person who represents the opposite, the father of deception, right? The father of lies. Will you just turn to John 8 real quick and let me show you a verse. John 8, verse 44. In John 8, you might remember, it's one of the more famous statements Jesus said about truth where he said, you will know the truth and the truth will Set you free. Good job. A plus, all you Awanas people. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said that, and some of the Jews who were there said, we're not in bondage. What do you, why do we need to be set free from? And Jesus said, actually, you are in bondage. If you refuse to believe in me or believe in my Father, you're in bondage to deception, and there's actually a spiritual person behind that. And I need, you to, tell, I need to tell you about him. John 8, verse 44 is where we go. Here's what Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Isn't that interesting? Now, I want to acknowledge that, like, in our culture, talking about the devil or believing in the devil, it sounds superstitious, and a lot of people struggle with it. But here, we're in a series called What the Son of God Said, and here I have the Son of God describing someone whom he calls the devil. He calls him Satan. And how he describes him is he's the father of lies. He cannot not lie because lying is his very character. And Jesus says that you need to understand this. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought about this? Now think about this for a minute. Whenever we talk about spiritual warfare or like having, we're, we're, in, we're in conflict with Satan, Jesus is not speaking of physical conflict. He speaks of a fight over ideas. He's the father of lies. Lies are what he uses. Sometimes we think of spiritual warfare and we think, I'm going to get a mysterious disease or there's going to be a horrible cataclysmic event. And Satan is really savvy. He doesn't need any of that stuff. He wants to destroy. I promise you, whatever Jesus is for, Satan is against. Whatever Jesus wants to create is good. Any kind of human thriving Jesus wants, Satan is radically opposed to it. He's hell-bent on destroying God's good creation. But he doesn't do it with physical catastrophes. He does it by inserting these tiny little ideas into our world, into our news feed, into the algorithm, into the TikTok platform, and they spread. Why? Because Satan knows ideas have consequences. And not all ideas are created equal. In fact, some ideas lead to human thriving. 
And some ideas lead to destruction. Probably the very best definition of truth that I've ever heard was by the 18th century philosopher John Locke. I just want you to listen to this. You don't need to know philosophy to track with me, but you, you all are really smart, so listen to This is a pretty good definition of truth. John Locke, he's credited with what's called the correspondence theory of truth, and this is basically what he said. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. That's pretty good. That actually sounds a lot like Jesus. Where Jesus would teach, truth is that which doesn't deceive or distort, but represents real things. John Locke said, truth is that which corresponds to reality. But then, once he said that, then all the philosophers started doing what philosophers start to do, which is overthink stuff and argue with each other. And some of the other philosophers said, but a reality according to who? Whose perception of reality are we talking about? And then that led to a whole political movement called postmodernism, which then turned into a movement called relativism. And that's all really interesting. But wait a minute. Let's just ask the question, what if it's a pretty good definition? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. So here's what that means. It means when we embrace lies, that is, ideas that don't correspond to reality, when we embrace those and believe those and open ourselves up to them as a culture, as individuals, with our bodies, with our sexuality, or fill in the blank, if we hear ideas that don't correspond to reality and then I give those ideas full access to my life, what will be the result of that? It won't be human thriving. It will be heartache, hardship, brokenness, destruction. Because if there's one thing about reality, reality does not normally accommodate itself to our illusions. It just continues to be reality, right? But if we believe truth, that is ideas that correspond to reality, then what happens is we thrive. And Jesus said, I'm gonna send you help. And he's not just in the old spirit, he's the spirit of truth. And so I want to ask you a question. Who's got your ear right now? Don't answer the question too quickly. Who has your ear? Who is feeding you information? Where are you going? Who have you decided has the authority to define reality in our world? Is it Jesus, the leading of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Some lies are relatively harmless, okay? They don't really have that big of an impact. Did you know the flat earth theory is making a comeback right now? This is actually real. Did you know this? Flat earth? No, I want you to answer me. Did you know this? This is actually the flat earth theory is making a comeback, all right? It's primarily on TikTok right now, okay? I'm telling you, listen, if there's an intelligent species out there, they're watching us and they're thinking, we can easily kill these people and take their resources, all right? All their water, we can get it, okay? Now that, but that lie is relatively harmless. But what about lies about 
human identity or sexuality or gender or sometimes those ideas, if they don't correspond to reality, they actually can create great harm. And at the risk of being controversial, but all of you are thinking about some of them, let me just talk about one of them very briefly, okay? And I'm not meaning to be controversial, I'm just meaning to address how deeply we need the spirit of truth to guide us. So think about this. When a child begins to experience genuine gender dysphoria, which does happen to children sometimes, and that experience for a child means the child, sometimes it starts when they're young, and they, a child begins to say, I feel like I'm trapped in the wrong body. And often it comes with a lot of grief and heartache. And, and imagine being the parents or the adults around that child, and your compassion would soar. And that would be a godly, natural response, to have compassion when someone's suffering, right? But what is the solution to that? There's an idea right now in our culture that says if a child is experiencing that kind of disconnect, that kind of suffering, we should do everything immediately to relieve their suffering, including sex reassignment surgery or giving them hormone blockers, and we should do that before they hit puberty. And the reason that people do that is because they think this surely will alleviate the child from all of the mental stress, the depression, the hardship of that experience of gender dysphoria. But did you know something? Did you know that study after study after study has continued to show over and over and over that after a person struggling with dysphoria has sex reassignment surgery or hormone blockers, the rates of mental illness keep going up. It does not alleviate their heartache or their hardship. And why would that be? Because that idea does not correlate with reality. There is a reality about our physical, biological bodies. And so we need the Holy Spirit because we're living in a world where there are ideas constantly spreading and some of those ideas are relatively harmless, but some of them are actually creating a massive impact in people's lives. And so I can I ask you a question this morning? How much do you depend on the spirit of truth? Here's a great way to think about it. When you sit down to read your Bible, which I hope you're doing on a regular basis, how often before you read do you stop and say, I should pray that the Holy Spirit will help me understand what I'm about to read. Because that instruction's all over the New Testament. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He opens the eyes of human hearts so we can see the glory of Jesus. Every time you open your Bible, you should pray, Spirit, help me. Did you know that Jesus said you can't worship Jesus without the spirit of truth? Jesus in John 4 said, I'm looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and Truth. So even when you walk through these doors, are you thinking, Spirit, help me worship. I want to worship Jesus today like a varsity athlete. I want to give him my very best. Did you know that you need the Holy Spirit to do that? He's the Spirit of truth. Isn't that great? Are you leaning on him? Are you depending on him? He's in you. He dwells within you. There's one more thing I want to show you, and I'm only going to take a minute on it because we're going to come back next Sunday. I told you the other side of this is our faithful witness. Go back to 
John 15, verse 26, and let me show you this connection. This is really interesting. Remember this? Jesus had said, uh, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So truth always involves bearing witness to Jesus, like giving testimony, that's truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. But then notice what he says next. So the Holy Spirit's always bearing witness to me, and who else is gonna bear witness to me? You are. Everyone filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the Spirit's doing. And the moment he fills you, what does he want you to be doing? Giving, bearing witness to Jesus. But it's interesting. Pull back the lens right now and look at your Bible and look at sort of the context of what, how Jesus said this. Like look right there above verse 18. Some of you have a title or a, or a textual note. What does it say? What's the title in your Bible? The world's hatred. Do you see that? Anybody else got that in your Bible? That's not in the Greek, but that's just a summary of what's coming. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want to prepare you that you should not expect to be treated in the world differently than I've been treated. So if the world has a hard time with me, they're going to have a hard time with you. If the world wants to reject me, they're going to reject you, especially if you're talking about me. If you're constantly telling people about Jesus, they're gonna to respond to you the same way they responded to Jesus. And he said, you're gonna need some help. And so I'm gonna give you my spirit, my spirit of truth, because I want you to be a person who bears witness. By the way, that word witness there, do you see that? That's the Greek word martureo. It's where we get our, our word martyr, because Jesus knew this is hard. And then look what he does next, 16 verse one. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I don't want you to fall away. It's gonna be hard. If you go to work and you begin to talk about Jesus, there will be hardship and that should be expected. And Jesus says, I just, I don't want you to fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. And so I'm saying these things to you so that when it happens, you'll remember that I told you this. And then he starts talking about the Spirit. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was, I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks where I'm going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I go, I'll send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world. He'll take care of the conviction part. You just open your mouth and testify. So what's the connection to truth? Why is it about truth? I want you to think about this statement. If you are not absolutely convinced that Jesus is true, you won't continue to witness to him when it gets hard, right? Think about it, it's gonna be hard, I promise you. You're gonna, you're gonna face resistance. What will you do? Well, you'll ask the question, is this absolutely true? Because if it's true, I'll keep talking about Jesus, even though it's hard. He's worth it. I was meeting with a guy a couple years ago who was struggling with his faith and 
he said, I'm really wrestling. And, and he said, um, you know, I just, I just don't feel like it's right for me to tell other people that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, who am I to force my beliefs on other people, right? That's my personal belief. But what if it's not their personal belief? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Or have you ever wondered that? I feel like, gosh, is it right for me to tell somebody that Jesus is the son of God? And the first thing I want to acknowledge is we're never forcing our beliefs on anyone. I agree with part of that sentiment, which is you should not be forcing Jesus on anyone, all right? But here's the question. Jesus is either true or he's not true. If someone said to you, five plus five equals nine, I promise you, you would not go, I don't think I should force my personal mathematic beliefs. You would say, that's not right. Five plus five is 10. So why is it, let me ask you a question. Why is it that when it comes to some things, we say it's just objectively true, but with others, we say, well, it's just kind of a matter of your personal preferences. It's like God is either true or he's not true. R.C. Sproul told an amazing story. He said he was on a campus. He was a philosopher, author, theologian. I'll, I'll close with this. He was on a college campus. He was having a conversation with a really bright student. She was a philosophy major, and they were talking about religion. And she said, she said, so let me ask you some questions. She said, so you believe Christianity is true. And he said, I do. And she said, and you pray to God. And he said, I do. And she said, you come to church and you worship and you sing songs to God and about God. He said, I do, I do. And she said, and you find all that personally meaningful. And he said, I do. And she said, fine. Then for you, God exists. But then she said, but I don't believe in God. I don't pray to God. I don't go to church and worship or sing. And I don't find any of that stuff personally meaningful. And so for me, God is not real. And R.C. thought for a minute. He said, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. He said, when I talk about God, I'm talking about a God who if he's not real, it doesn't matter how much I sing or pray or believe, none of those things have the power to conjure him up or create him. I don't create God through my personal religious expressions. But then he said, but on the other hand, if God is real, all of your disbelief and your refusal to pray or follow him or sing None of those things have the power to destroy him. God is either real or he's not real, folks. Amen? And the Holy Spirit of truth has the power to convict your heart so that you become a witness. I've had countless stories over the last month in our church of people who have been led by the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. I had a conversation with a woman three weeks ago. She was taking her dog to a dog park. Okay, the most unspiritual thing I could do with Winnie is taking her to a dog park. That's like a day in purgatory. 
But there she is. She's walking into the dog park. What does she do? Right before she gets out of the car, she prays. Holy Spirit, I just pray that I would be ready. If you lead me into an interaction with someone, I promise you, I will take a risk and I'll follow you. She walks in there. She's, her dog is running around, probably behaving nicely. And she ends up in a sitting next to another woman who tells her her story. The woman shares that she's just recovered from cancer. And this one, our church said, I don't know why, but I just know that God is telling me to invite you to come to my church. And here's what the woman said. This morning, God told me I'm supposed to find a church. She's never been to church before, not once. This morning, God told me I'm supposed to find a church. Can I come to your church? And she said, yes, I will make that happen for you. And I want that for you, folks. He's the Holy Spirit of truth. Did you know he's already, going, he's already gone before you? He's already witnessing to Jesus. All you're doing is showing up to open your mouth and talk about how much you love him. Amen? Okay. So next week we have more to do. We have to talk about power. So come back next Sunday. Will you bow your heads and let me pray? Well, Father, we need the Spirit today. Every one of us. Every one of us would say, I want to depend on your Holy Spirit more. And so in this moment of quiet as, the, as we get ready to worship again and go to the table, this is a bit of a gift for you right now because I, again, I don't know where you're coming from this week. I don't know how discouraged you are. I don't know how convinced you are of the truth of Jesus. But I know this, the spirit of truth God's divine sovereign spirit is with us right now and he is pursuing you right now. And so will you just remain open in this moment? If your heart feels tender and warm, if you are feeling something happening in you, a kindling, like a little fire burning, that's him working stay open what does he want to show you about Jesus have you ever gone to the table and, and actually believed actually Jesus did give his actual body the bread is just a symbol of a real moment and the cup is actually just a symbol of a real moment when the blood of Jesus was spilled on a cross for my sin. That's the spirit of truth pointing you to that reality. And so believe it this morning and worship Jesus like never before. And so we do, Father, we love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.